The following message is from the Church at Greer Station. For more information, visit tcgreerstation.com. How is everybody tonight? Great. This crowd is here and present and ready to, uh, to hear the word. I'm grateful. My name is Robert. As Aaron said, it is a, uh, it is a joy uh, to, be, to be with you. I uh, was really excited when Trevor uh, called and asked, um, asked me to come and, uh, and be a part of uh, your services tonight and uh, kind of close out this series that you guys are working through in, uh, in the way of wisdom. As Aaron said, one of the pastors at Christ Fellowship Northwest, uh, or Christ Fellowship Traveler's Rest, or the Church of Blue. We've changed our name like five times. That's the running joke around us, so we'll just go ahead and get that out of the way. Change our name like five times, it feels like, and Lord willing, and if I have anything to say about it, we will never change our names again. We put that little, uh, if, you're, if you're familiar with us, we have a little mountain, we had a little mountain logo when we were called the Church of Blue Ridge, and we put that little mountain logo on everything, and taking it off of everything has just been a laborious, laborious task. So uh, I am one of the pastors at Christ Fellowship Northwest, and uh, it has been a joy over the years uh, just to kind of watch uh, the church at Greer Station grow up. You guys uh, planted out of the church at Cherrydale uh, right before uh, we planted. And so uh, we've, we always think of you guys as sort of our, our older brothers and sisters kind of in this journey of church planting. And so we've learned a lot from you guys over the years and have enjoyed getting to see what the Lord has done, uh, the gospel work that you guys are doing on, on this side of the, the city a uh, little bit kind of just a, about myself for those of you that, that don't know me. Uh, I'm married. My wife's name is Julie. She's with me tonight. We have two boys. Grant is six. My youngest is Creighton. He's celebrating his third birthday today. He's a big three-year-old. He's got a Dude I'm Three shirt on, letting the world know about it. Uh, and so, again, we're just, uh, we're, we're just delighted to, to be with you tonight and, and be a part of uh, your services. So, uh, over the past year and a half... Many of the constants of our lives uh, have, been, have been shaken. I feel like this is the beginning of almost every sermon over the past year and a half, right? Something akin to that. Like the constants of our lives have been shaken, right? In some cases, they've been turned completely upside down, we would say, right? Um, on, a, on a lighter note, for example, <clears throat> it's a sad day when I have to eat my Chick-fil-A sandwich, right, through the car window and the lady comes to the car window, and through her muffled mask, she says, it's my pleasure, right? Sounds more like Charlie Brown's teacher, the whole want want thing, right? want want, right? It's a sad day when that, that's my life. On a more serious note, right, our kids have been forced to go to school at our dining room tables, right? They've been forced to uh, learn behind computer screens. Uh, what, uh, what my father, another example, what my father uh, called growing up, Common human decency seems to be speeding ever, ever faster toward uncommon, right? As our culture grows increasingly tribalistic and suspicious of everyone and everything. And perhaps most frustrating of the last year, year and a half, 2020, first part of 2021, in a a cultural moment, if I can can use the kind of that cliche, in in a cultural moment when We needed men and women of integrity and self-control to lead us. What do we get? Well, we got sex scandals. We got physical abuse scandals. We got 
um, abuse of authority scandals. And now most recently, kind of within the circles that we run in, right, we had plagiarism, allegations of plagiarism, and uh, pawning uh, someone else's work as your, as your own. I can't speak for you. I imagine this is true for you. But, you know, I, I feel like if you follow Charlie Brown, right, I feel like Peppermint Patty with all the wah-wah. I just want to lay my head on the table and I want to take a nap, right? This world's crazy. It's crazy. In a world where everything seems to be spiraling out of control, self-control and integrity have never been more precious. I think we can all agree with that on a general basis. Self-control and integrity have never been more precious. And at the same time, seemingly never more scarce. But God has not left his people without witness. God has not left his people without witness. He has taught us, his people, through his word, how to live well. That's what you guys have been talking about over the last several weeks with this this series, The Way of Wisdom. How to live well. The importance of walking according to God's instructions. And this, this evening, right, the importance of controlling our disordered passions that lure us away from what God has said is right and good. That's, that's kind of where we're going. Now, now, Proverbs 25 marks the beginning of a section in Proverbs uh, that run all the way through chapter 29. Right? Let's kind of set the scene a little bit for you here, give you a little uh, literary context, if you will, of where we are in the book. Now, interestingly, this section was curated. It was collected, most likely, over a long period of time by one of Israel's kings. His name was King Hezekiah. Unlike many of the kings of God's people, Hezekiah actually did what was right in the sight of the Lord. That's how 2 Kings, the writer of 2 Kings describes him. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. During a time when God's people were not following God's ethical instructions, think integrity, morality, not restraining their, their passions, King Hezekiah brought religious and moral revival. And while all of this is going on, he's collecting these proverbs, most likely written by by King Solomon. Now, this evening, we're going to look at Proverbs 25, 25 through 26.2. Now, in, in many ways, you could teach the entire book of Proverbs and this idea of the way of wisdom. You could teach this entire book with this through the lens of this topic of integrity and self-control. You, you really could, right? Wisdom itself We're just working with a basic biblical definition of wisdom. Wisdom itself can be understood through this framework of following God's ethical exhortations, restraining restraining one's desires, right? There are certain things that you want to do that you probably just shouldn't do, right? Probably just shouldn't do them. Now, I'm not going to be able to say everything tonight that the book of Proverbs says about integrity, and self-control, right? So instead, I want to try and say five things. Five things. Now, confession, I tried to be a good guest preacher and give you three things in a poem. I failed, right? You get five things tonight, five things that I think give us a good foundation for understanding this topic in Proverbs. Here they are. Five truths from Proverbs regarding integrity and self-control. First, I want us to see that when it comes to integrity and self-control, they're going to be on the screen up here, uh, hopefully, uh, if I did my job right. Uh, When it comes to integrity and self-control, the stakes are high. The stakes are very high. We're going to see that tonight from our text. 
Second, I want you to see, I want to show you that too much, yes, too much, self-control, integrity, those things, too much can actually make you sick. Too much can make you sick. Third, we're going to look at what the at the danger of mob rule. The danger of mob rule when integrity and self-control are abandoned, when they're thrown out the window. Fourth, we're going to take a look at how the world actually celebrates the kind of self-destruction that uh, integrity and self-control speaks against. And then fifth, I want us to see that ultimately, the world's curses against us as those who seek to uh, walk in integrity and self-control are ultimately powerless against us. So for those of you who are taking notes, real quickly, one more time, the stakes are high, too much can make you sick, the danger of mob rule, the celebration of self-destruction, and powerless curses. Powerless curses. Those are the five things I want us to see tonight. Let's jump in. Proverbs 25, verse 25. I'm going to read it to you. Like cold water... To a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. Like a muddied spring or a polluted fountain is a righteous man who gives way before the wicked. Now, what the writer of Proverbs is doing there is he is using a set of comparisons. Right? He's using a set of comparisons to draw our attention to something that is contrasted. Right? We often think of using comparison and contrast separately, but not together. He's using them together. He's using a set of comparisons to draw our attention to something contrasted. First, he compares cold water, cold, clean, pure water, right, from a fountain and good news from a far country as both unmatched sources of relief and refreshment. As I was thinking about that, that this week, uh, I realized that, that my wife and I, we've actually experienced what this passage talks about over the last couple of weeks, right? Uh, there's nothing better than a cold glass of water when it's 83 degrees in your house at 11 p.m. because lightning took out the air conditioning unit, right? That happened to me a couple weeks ago, right? And the relief that finally came to my family when hearing from a faraway country, for us it was the Greenville County School District, that my wife had finally got this job that we'd been praying that God was going to give to us, right? It was relief. There was relief. There was refreshment that good news had finally arrived. Now in contrast, Solomon says when a righteous person, this is the connection to integrity and self-control, When a righteous person gives way before the wicked, when we fall as God's people, when we sin, when we give into lust, to greed, to anger, or whatever sinful temptation you want to insert in there, we're like a polluted stream. A polluted stream for weary travelers. Imagine the scene like this. A curious world comes to the church weary of sin and all of its broken promises. Weary of sin and all of its broken promises saying, these guys, they will be different. They'll be different than all we've experienced in the past. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Proverbs 10, 11. We'll find relief and refreshment there, the world says. They say that only to find the same old sin-polluted water that they find everywhere else. Instead of the good news of the gospel being lifted high by our integrity and our self-control, they find the same old bad news 
that they're used to everywhere else. This is what I mean, friends, by the fact that the stakes are high when it comes to our integrity and self-control. And this is not a truth. I think, I think sometimes we, uh, we tend to make this truth about someone else, uh, very specifically about leaders, right? Integrity and self-control, that's great for leaders. Leaders need to be men and women of integrity. They need to have self-control. This is a truth reserved for pastors, presidents of countries, and of the Southern Baptist Convention, if you've been following the news recently, right? But it's not true for me. Here we see in Proverbs the wisdom of Proverbs, that this is a truth for all people. The eternal destinies, have you considered this? That the eternal destinies of some of our friends, some of my friends, some of your friends and neighbors hang in the balance of whether or not we are men and women of integrity who control our passions and our lusts. Friends, have you ever considered that the way you treat your spouse, how you speak to your boss, or your employees, how you spend your money, how you think about and use your possessions, your attitude toward your work when you're working, and yes, even your sex life. All of these things, they will either be a source of life-giving water, of good news, or they will be a cesspool of death. When our integrity is compromised, People get hurt. People get hurt. Younger believers are discouraged in their faith. Curious outsiders are disillusioned with the gospel. The slanderous allegations of our opponents, the church's opponents, they're confirmed. We must seek as God's people to live in step with what God has said is good and right. And we must as those who have been freed from our slavery to sin in Christ, through Christ, Fight to restrain our sinful passions and our desires for the sake of our neighbors, for the sake of the ones that we go to school with, that we shop at the same grocery store with, for the sake of all those who have not yet believed the gospel, recognizing that when we fall, that people get hurt, there are real consequences, the stakes are high. But here's the deal with guarding integrity Guarding self-control. This uh, this guy, uh, commentator that I like to read, his name is Charles Bridges. He he writes this. He says, a virtue. He says, integrity and self-control, it's a virtue on the brink of vice. It's provocative, isn't it? A virtue on the brink of vice, a duty on the borders of imminent danger. This this leads us to the second truth about integrity and self-control that I want us to see from the text here, that too much will make you sick. Look at verse 27. It's not good to eat too much honey, nor is it glorious to seek one's own glory. Proverbs 25, verse 27. Ask any 10-year-old in the room, right? Ask any 10-year-old in the room what happens when you eat too much Halloween candy. What happens? You get a stomachache. You get a stomach ache. Solomon is teaching us here with this proverb about, about eating too much honey that we can actually make ourselves sick. We can make ourselves sick on integrity and self-control, on righteousness, if you will. We can become sick with our own pride and our own self-righteousness. When our pursuit of integrity and self-control become nothing more than moralism, we grow sick. 
Our rule-keeping, our eye-dotting, our tea-crossing, and goody-two-shoeing, when they're more about our own self-image and reputation than about worshiping God, we've made ourselves sick. You see, while the way of wisdom... While the way of wisdom is certainly not, uh, I'm going to use a, a theological word here, while the way of wisdom is certainly not libertinism, this is abandoning integrity and self-control and all morals altogether, while the way of wisdom is certainly not libertinism, it is most certainly not legalism either. The book of Proverbs actually condemns both. It condemns both. The highway of the upright turns aside from evil. Whoever guards his way preserves his life. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 16, 17 through 18. Jesus himself, Jesus condemned the Pharisees in Matthew 23 for counting their tithes down to the tiniest fraction of a cent. Counting the, the dill and the mint. Right? He condemned them for counting their tithes down to the tiniest fraction of a cent while neglecting to do justice and mercy. Jesus says of them in Matthew 23, verse 25, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You see, while we must carefully pursue wisdom, guarding ourselves from the moral and spiritual compromise of, of the rebellious, we, we have this, this balance that we have to walk. We have to guard ourselves between the rebellious younger brother and Jesus' parable of the prodigal son. And we must also be equally careful that we do not end up sick like the self-righteous older brother who ended up worshiping himself. So, when it comes to integrity and self-control... When it comes to these things, we must also be aware of the danger of mob rule. Look at verse, verse 28. Proverbs 25, verse 28. Third, I want us to see here in this passage, before I read the passage, I want us to see that the danger of mob rule, this lack of self-control, is to be vulnerable. Verse 28, let me read it. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Now, a city whose walls have been breached is a vulnerable city. I think we can pick that up from the text, right? It's a vulnerable city. Cities in the ancient world were places of refuge. Their walls protected the city's inhabitants from thieves and invaders. Without walls, cities had very little ability to enforce their rules, their laws, protect their citizens, right? And the same is true for a person without self-control, Solomon is teaching us here. In Proverbs, self-control is about your passions. I've kind of already alluded to that. It's about our desires. We get angry. Everybody in this room gets angry. We love. We're saddened. We desire food. We desire pleasure. We desire comfort. This is part of what it means to be human. It's part of being created, I would argue, in the, the image of God. But it's when these passions are rightly ordered when they're all subservient underneath our love for God, our passion for God, our desire for Him, that these passions are right and good. But here's the truth about our passions, our desires. They have been corrupted by sin. 
The Bible is littered with text. It's littered with passages that talk about this, that point to this reality. And it's foundational to the Bible's perspective on the world, that our passions are disordered and all scrambled up. Every human descendant of Adam and Eve, that's every single one of us, we have all been corrupted by sin. All of our passions and desires have been disordered, scrambled about. We desire, or we could say love, all sorts of things more than God. So in the book of Proverbs, those who seek to control their disordered passions, they're called the righteous. They're called the upright. They're those with integrity. And they're pictured as recipients of God's blessing. Now, in contrast, those who do not seek to control their passions, seek to control their sinful desires, Proverbs calls them fools. He calls them the wicked. He calls them the treacherous or the crooked. Proverbs says that they will not escape God's judgment. Let me give you a couple of examples. Proverbs 2.7, the Lord stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk in integrity. Proverbs 2, 21 through 22, for the upright, those who embrace God's ethical instruction, they will inhabit God's land of blessing, and those with integrity will remain in it, but the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Consider Proverbs 10, 9, whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes, he who makes his way crooked will be found out. Or take Proverbs 11, 19 through 21. Whoever is steadfast in righteousness will live, but he who pursues evil will die. Those of crooked heart are an abomination to the Lord, but those of blameless ways are his delight. Be assured an evil person will not go unpunished, but the offspring of the righteous will be delivered. Without self-control and integrity... Our God-given passions, these things that are right and good when they're rightly ordered, they're left disordered and short-circuited by our fallen nature, by our sin. Our uncontrolled human desires bear the fruit of sin. And that sin brings God's judgment. This is how sin works. Listen to how James explains it. In the New Testament, James writes in James 1, 14-15, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Anybody ever been lured and enticed by your own desire? Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. That's exactly how sin works. If we were to go back and look at our lives in the way that we have found ourselves in whatever mess we might be in, that's exactly how it works. We're tempted, we're lured and enticed by our own desire. Desire conceives and gives birth to sin. And when it's fully grown, it brings death. Without self-control, anger is but a breath away from murder. Ask Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4. Sexual desire is one step removed from lust and adultery. Ask King David and Bathsheba. A desire to provide for your family? A desire to pro provide for your family is just one step away from greed and covetousness. Just ask Achan in the Old Testament. Without self-control governing our desires, our hearts look very similar to the riots of many American cities that we saw in the year 2020. 
A mob of sin-perverted passions roams the streets of our hearts with torches and baseball bats, pillaging our lives and wreaking havoc on our relationships. Without the walls of self-control, the sin mob rules. It rules. And we are captive to it. The way Jesus would say this, he does so in John 8, 34. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is what? A slave to sin. And on our own, on our own this evening, Grew Station, we have no hope. We have no hope within ourselves of living up to God's moral standard of integrity. No hope of bringing order to our disordered hearts on our own. We have bowed our knees to our sinful passions, and as idols always do, and idols always do, they've turned on us. We've become slaves. We've got things under control, we say, right? That's what we say to our accountability partners. I've got it. It's under control. It's not a problem. When the truth is, we're slaves. And Proverbs offers us hope. Do you want to be free from slavery to sin? The danger, the danger in, this type of, in this type of sermon is that it, it becomes all about... Um, gritting your teeth, muscling up under a problem and figuring it out for yourself. Something about uh, Americans and our desire to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, right? But freedom from sin, freedom from slavery to sin, as we've been talking about, it does not come by gritting our teeth or muscling through. No, if we do that, if we do that, it will either lead to, to despair, Right? I can't do this, I'm never going to live up to God's standard, or it will lead to the illusion of success, self-righteousness, self-righteousness. Christian, do you need to be reminded from where your strength comes to live with integrity and subdue your passions? Listen to Proverbs 1-7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom instruction. Those who, who live well, those who live well in God's world, those who seek to live with integrity and self-control, it all begins with the fear of the Lord. Now this is not the same fear that my boys have when I turn off the lights at night after I've tucked them into bed. This is not the same fear of monsters in the closets, shadows on the wall, right? This is different. This is different. This is awe, reverence. We could even say worship. To walk in wisdom is to acknowledge that the walls of our hearts have been breached by sin. It's true for all of us this morning. It was either true in the past or it's currently true right now. The walls of our heart have been breached by sin. And here's the worst part of all. We open the gates. We opened the gates. God could justly punish all of us right now for our sin and our rebellion. For all the times that we have wandered away and been lured and enticed by the lust of our flesh, by our sinful desires and temptations, God could punish us all right now and be just in doing so. But He hasn't. Instead, God has offered us mercy. 
He offers us mercy, and instead of punishing us, he punishes his son. He punishes Christ. By repenting of our sins and placing our faith in what Christ has done in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection, these are the first steps on the path of wisdom. This is what it means to fear the Lord, to bow before Him in awe and reverence. The only way to do that properly is through repentance and faith. Only Jesus has the power to free us from our slavery to sin if we are enslaved tonight. Only Jesus has the power to free us from our slavery to sin and to keep us from returning to our bondage, to keep us from returning to being slaves to our, our passions and our lusts. Whether we are a follower of Christ or whether we're not, the need is the same for both of us. We need Christ. We need Christ. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him in John's gospel, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Freedom from our, uh, our temptations and lusts. There's no ultimate freedom until Christ returns. But, but power to resist them, power to say no, freedom from our, our bondage to even get in the fight, it all begins with bowing our knee before Christ. Only He can set us free. Only He can set us free. This is the danger of mob rule, and the only hope that we have in Christ is Christ. And unfortunately, the call to self-control and integrity that rings out from the book of Proverbs, that rings out from Lady Wisdom, it's largely ignored. It's largely ignored and even contradicted by our culture. This takes us to our third truth this evening. It's the celebration of self-destruction. Look with me at Proverbs 26.1. Like snow in summer or rain in harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool. Snow in the winter is right, right? We can all get behind that. Snow in the winter is right and good. Snow in the winter leads to snow days and kids being out of school. It leads to snowmen. If you're uh, in my house, snow sledding, maybe even snow cream. It's supposed to snow when it's cold, right? supposed to snow. And for people like me, who care way too much about a pretty green lawn, I love, I love my lawn, I love to make it green and pretty, right? Snow is actually very beneficial in the wintertime when it's cold. It actually adds moisture to the ground and it traps nitrogen into the soil, which feeds the grass. Snow in the wintertime is good and right. Similarly, Solomon says, rain before a harvest, after the crops have been planted, is good and beneficial. A farmer spends most of his life, much of his life, praying for rain. But snow in the summer? That's, that's twilight zone kind of weird, right? Snow in the middle of the summer when it's 90 degrees outside? It's weird. It's improper, we might say. And rain at harvest time? That's, that's downright catastrophic. That, that'll ruin a crop. So Solomon says the same is true when giving honor to a fool. It's wrong. It's improper. It's unfitting. 
to praise and affirm the fool who doesn't walk in integrity, who's ruled by the mob of his disordered passions, is improper and damaging. It's to celebrate self-destruction. It's to bless what Solomon says the Lord curses. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Proverbs 3.33. But isn't this the hallmark of our culture? A couple of examples. A woman works night and day, ignoring her family, stepping on and stepping over her co-workers to get to the top, to get the raise or the bonus that she doesn't really need. And what do we do as a culture? We idolize her. We idolize her as a picture of the American dream, and we call her self-made. A man abandons his wife and his children for his lover, and he's praised on social media for following his heart and being true to himself. Or one maybe closer to this part of the room, the preacher of our favorite podcast gets millions of listens. He's charismatic, his teaching is biblical, but he's a bully. He's a bully to his own staff, and he lords his authority over his congregation. And what do we do as a culture? We call him a celebrity. Call him a celebrity. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, the prophet says in Isaiah 5, 20. The way of wisdom does not celebrate the self-destruction of immorality and letting our passions and our lusts run wild. Our culture celebrates this kind of self-destruction. It scoffs at any notion of uprightness and restraint. It sings while sin's marauders ransack lives and burn them to ashes. And in the midst of it all, church, in the midst of it all, we are called to remain steadfast. We are called to remain steadfast in this way of wisdom. And we do so, we do so, I believe, by remembering our fifth truth tonight, our fifth and final truth, that the curses of the world against us are ultimately powerless. Here's, here's what I mean is, as we're kind of wrapping things up, as we're wrapping things up here, Our neighbors might think us strange that we make different parenting, entertainment, and other lifestyle choices than they do. Our commitment to integrity and self-control might cost us. They might cost us some invites to birthday parties and cookouts. Your business partners might not appreciate your unwillingness to play fast and loose with the rules on that big deal you're about to close, right? Your friends, they might not understand why uh, Thirsty Thursday or living for the weekend is just not your thing anymore, right? Your family, your family might despise the fact that you spend so much time at the church and you give so much of your resources to it. There may even come a day, there may even come a day when the dirty looks the false accusations, the lost opportunities, and the broken relationships, they may give way to even more sinister and violent curses leveled against us for our unwillingness to give ourselves over, 
to give ourselves over to our passions and to walk in the way of the wicked. So Solomon reminds us here in our last verse, Proverbs 26.2, that we need be no more afraid of the world's curses than we are of the birds. Look at chapter, uh, chapter 26, verse 2. Like a sparrow in its flitting, like a swallow in its flying, a curse that is causeless does not alight. Fluttering and flying all around us, the birds, they rarely land, do they? They fly above our heads, they land on buildings, but they, la- they rarely land on us. And neither does a curse without merit, Solomon pictures there for us. This is exactly what the wicked prophet Balaam learned when he tried to curse God's people in Numbers 22 through 24. We're going through the book of Numbers at my church. We're, we're going to get to this in, in several months. Balaam learned that it is God who determines who is blessed and who is cursed. God alone brings judgment and blessing. And according to Solomon, the Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous, Proverbs 3.3. 3. Now, my friends, this is not a guarantee. This is not a guarantee for a happy life with no pain and no difficulty. Proverbs are not promises. I'm sure you've heard that many times from this stage over the past several weeks. They don't work that way. They don't work that way. Instead, Proverbs is giving us a general principle for how we are to think about integrity and self-control, for how we can live well in a world that reproaches and curses us even for our uprightness, for our, our willingness to control ourselves, our willingness to guard our passions, to restrain ourselves. In fact, this world may exact its pound of flesh from us for that. We may suffer and be hurt physically, emotionally, spiritually. We may run the gamut of suffering in our world. But ultimately, the world's curses against us for our willingness to walk in the way of wisdom, to walk in integrity and in self-control, the world's curses have no power over us. They have no power over us because they had no power over our Savior. Think about it. The scoffs and the curses that were leveled against our Christ for His willingness to walk in righteousness and not to give in and for being God. The scoffs and curses that were leveled against Him became in the providential hand of God the very means of our salvation. By his wounds we are healed. By his wounds we are healed. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, victorious over sin and death, we have confidence as those who have placed our faith in Christ that an ocean of grace covers all of our sins, all of the times that we fail to walk in integrity, all of the times that we fail to guard our hearts, that we give in to temptation, to the passions of our flesh. There is, a, there is an ocean of grace that covers us. We can rest in confidence that in Christ, that we are being empowered every moment by His Spirit to live with an integrity and self-control. And we can rest in confidence that Christ's victory, Christ's victory will one day be our own. That one day we will be free 
We will be free from the battle of having to fight our sin, of having to fight temptation. For we will stand before our King and our Lord face to face, free from sin and all of its temptations. As those who are in Christ this morning, be encouraged, church. The curses of the world are powerless over us. May God help us. May God help me. May God help you. May God help my church. May God help us all through Christ as we seek to walk in the way of wisdom, to live well, to walk with integrity and self-control. Would you pray with me? Father, more than, more than all things, we need Jesus. We need His atoning sacrifice and His victorious resurrection. We need His abiding Spirit. We need Christ more than all things. If we are to walk this path of wisdom, if we are to follow Him and live lives of integrity that control our passions and not give in to the temptations of the flesh. So Father, I pray that You would you would by your spirit that you would draw close that you would drive us deep into your word as we seek to be conformed to the image of Christ that we would look more and more like him I pray for those who have not yet believed I pray that you would open their hearts to the freedom that Christ offers them the freedom from slavery to sin I pray that they would know it tonight that their bondage to sin would come to an end, that they would be slaves no more, that they would know the freedom of Christ. Would you help us all to walk the path of wisdom, to live well until Christ returns and until we stand before him changed forever. I ask these things in his good name. Amen.